Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, we have seen a second death here in Ontario and uh, more infection in Hamilton at a nursing home up in the mountain, Stony Creek Mountain specifically. The mayor says we need to act as if we already have the virus. How are we tracking it and how's it going in this community? We'll talk about that. And to help businesses in the uh, city of Hamilton, the uh, three chambers of commerce are working with the city with an economic recovery working group. But Keenan Loomis from the chamber will give us the details on that. And are we flattening the curve? China has no new cases over the last couple of days. Italy, of course, continues to struggle. How has the world response been to tackling this virus? It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. How far has this virus spread in the country so far? Uh, We've seen a second death, of course, in Ontario. Uh, There's been an infection here in Hamilton at a nursing home. Uh, The mayor has said that we need to act as if we have already got the virus and we are carriers. Interesting take on things. Joining us to talk about this is Ahmad Fieras Khalid, uh, who is a, a medical doctor and health policy advisor, faculty member in the Human and Social Sciences at Wilfrid Laurier University. Uh, doctor, first of all, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad you could join us today. Of course, happy to speak, Bill. Give me, a, give me a, an analysis, uh, if you could, doctor, as to what we've been doing so far and, and how effective we are in trying to curve this. And I mean, the numbers are still going up. Was, was that inevitable? I mean, that is correct. The numbers are increasing by the minute. Uh, we're seeing the numbers doubling almost every day. Uh, is what we're doing enough? I think what the big message today is social distancing works. We need to continue doing it, and we need to strengthen our efforts in the community to ensure that everybody's on board. Well, uh, I, yeah, and I, I would question whether or not a lot of us have taken this to heart right now. I mean, we've mm-hmm. talked about the efficacy of, of social distancing, and, and I know that in some ways we've tried to, to facilitate that by closing stores and, and things of this nature, and, of course, arenas and, and places of public gathering. But I still see an awful lot of people out and about, and uh, that's not really what social distancing is all about, is it? Exactly. So that's exactly why the big concern right now is to keep putting that message out there that social distancing does not mean you can get together with your friend for coffee. I think we heard the top medical advisor uh, for Canada yesterday say that very clearly, uh, that please stay home as much as possible, only leave for essential needs. So that's... uh, an emergency one to the pharmacy to get your medications, which I much must advise everybody that uh, most pharmacies now are doing home delivery and there are stores now that are delivering to your home. So there's no need for you to leave your home. Please stay at home as much as possible and find ways to combat this social isolation you might be feeling uh, locked up in your house. Let's, let's talk, if we could, Doctor, about the numbers. And, and it's troubling, as, you're, as you say, almost daily now we're seeing uh, you know, increases and significant increases here in this country. Uh, and then time and time again over the last couple of weeks, uh, every time we talk about this, this, some of the naysayers, and there are still naysayers out there, uh, would say, look, at this is not as bad as it is in France or in Italy. Or, mm-hmm. it, you know, th- th- this is Canada. Look at the number of people that have got this and the number of deaths. Uh, or and that may be their attitude on this, but maybe it's just because we're that, we're that much behind them. And in other words, we should listen and see what happened in Italy and in France and say, look, at, you know, if we don't do what we're supposed to do, that is going to happen here. Well, Bill, you know what I say to that is I rather us overreact and look back at this time and say, hey, we overreacted, but we got ahead of this, than have the case of Italy happen here in Canada. Uh, we, I mean, it is correct. Our numbers are not the same as France and Spain and other countries. But the thing is, it's really important to say here is exactly what you just stated, which is that our numbers could become bad. Our health system is the big concern here. People often heard the word flattening the curve or Chief Medical Officer Teresa Tam yesterday said, let's not flatten the curve, let's plank that curve, because 
Uh, we do have faith in our system and our communities to step up. Social distancing works only if the health system can respond. Uh, and so the message here is loud and clear today. Social distancing will work once we're able to reduce the burden on our healthcare system. And, and again, those numbers, and, and I've, mm-hmm. I've heard some of the other measures that are taking place. A couple of days ago on the program, Doctor, we had a, actually a former Hamiltonian who's living in Rome now, uh, and she was talking about the situation as it is there. And, and for instance, the grocery stores are still open there, but they're only allowing a handful of people in, and, and you know, one in, one out, that sort of thing. And you don't see that social interaction. Uh, are we heading in that direction here? I think that's a fair assessment. I think as of now, looking at the numbers, if we start, we're at 846, which is the total numbers in Canada as of this morning uh, from the Canadian website, Canada government. That numbers, if they start increasing, yes, I think we are going to see more drastic measures. And we've seen that. So it's not a surprise for everybody. If you look at the trajectory and the timeline of how things happen in Canada, we went from saying it's not really a big uh, issue for us here in Canada. We have a strong health system. We don't have increasing number of cases. To fast forward now, we've closed our borders. We're closing our borders to the U.S. We're pushing for social distancing. That's all to curb the numbers. But the numbers keep increasing. Yes, I think it's very fair assessment to, to expect more drastic measures happening. Are, are we over this idea that some people seem to have it? Okay, this is just a severe flu. What's the big deal? Oh, I hope to God that people have, are looking beyond that point. I mean, I do understand why people have the confusion between the flu and the COVID. Uh, but the thing is, we know that COVID-19 incubation period is longer uh, than the flu, which means that it can last around much longer. Uh, hospitalization rates uh, are 19% for COVID-19, only 2% for the flu. And uh, so we know that the numbers are different, and COVID-19 is a different ballgame. It is a game-changer across the board. Well, and, and the significant statistic that I saw in this is it's 20 times stronger, more powerful than, than the average flu strain that we're used to dealing with here right now, which is not to say that you know everybody who's going to contract this is going to have to go to the hospital, but uh, a lot of people will. It's, it's, it's the spread that I think is, is the major concern here, isn't it, Doctor? Absolutely, because we have a vaccine for the flu. Uh, we don't have a vaccine for COVID-19. 81% of cases that with corona are mild. So almost anybody that will get the coronavirus will be okay. It's The concern here is those of elderly age or those with an immunocompromised system or underlying health conditions. Well, and we've seen this. And, you know, for people that are saying, well, what's the big deal? You know, I, what, what if I get the minor symptoms? You look in your circle of family and friends, and you don't really have to go too far away from that to find somebody who does have some sort of a medical condition, whether it's uh, heart problems, uh, respiratory problems, or whatever the case might be. I mean, how many people around there are using ventilators? That means you have a breathing problem, unless you're medicated. They're at higher risk. So even if it doesn't impact you dramatically, it could impact somebody that you're with. And also think about your loved ones. So even though you might get it and you might be mild, and this is the big message that's coming out of the U.S. now because we're seeing that millennials and people in their 20s are not taking this seriously, and we're saying it's, it's okay for you to have mild symptoms, like you said, where you're just going to recover in two to four days. But think about your grandparents. Think about your older aunts, your sisters, who might have an underlying health conditions or brothers. So the point here is it's not just about you. Everybody has a role to play. And it really, it, this is a defining moment for our country to see how we respond to a crisis like this. 
Well, and obviously we're getting some political leadership to, to their credit. The prime minister and even the premier here in Ontario, I think, have done a pretty decent job of of of, of raising the the, mm. the the alarm flag here without creating panic. But I think we need to be a lot more concerned about this than than we already are. We're going to get an update from the prime minister, of course, later on this morning. Uh, how do you see this rolling out? Again, some people not educated medical people, but but some people that have been making personal and uh, public pronouncements about that have said, look, as soon as the weather warms up, you know, May, June, this thing will just fade away like the flu always does. Uh, I I don't see that happening. What's your take on that, Doctor? Uh, Well, two things. I think first, I agree with you. I applaud the government because I think it's remarkable to see how uh, much of a leadership position we're taking on this. So we need to be, take credit in that, that Canadians' communities on our, and our leadership have been very transparent. Our journalists have been doing an incredible job of disseminating the facts. Our government is every day releasing press statements. That can't go unnoticed. Compared to other countries around us, we are truly a leader when it comes to that stuff. In terms of time frame, nobody can answer that. Even our own prime minister said yesterday said, it's two, we're looking at two weeks, we're planning for months. Uh, I don't think it's going to be uh, as quick as one week or two weeks. I think we are looking for a bit of a longer trajectory, depending on the numbers. But again, social distancing is the way forward. And how do we know it works? We see that our health system is not drowning. We are able to offer appropriate care to those people who actually need it. And that there is an ab- absence of exponential growth. So the minute we start seeing numbers not increasing exponentially in this crazy speed, we know that this is working. Uh, and the good news is China reported yesterday that uh, they have no new cases. So hope is, not, is around. We just need to keep pushing forward on this message. That's one of the elements of this that I, I guess well, many of us don't seem to comprehend because, let's face it, unless we need it, not too many of us spend much time in hospitals unless we're visiting loved ones or whatever the case might be. But the reality here is when you look at the projections, Doctor, of the number of people that are anticipated to be exposed and probably uh, have some symptoms uh, from uh, COVID-19, uh, that's a huge percentage. I mean, some estimates say 70, 75% of the population here in this country are probably going to have some sort of symptoms like this. Uh, we can't accommodate that. No, there is no country in the world, I guess, that has a, a hospital and a healthcare system that can accommodate a, a, a large influx like that. That That, that is going to be a crisis. If we're, we're on already, but I mean, this is only going to exacerbate a, a terrible situation if people have to be hospitalized. You just nailed it. I mean, that is precisely the point here. Our health system is an incredible one. It is resilient and strong, but it can only sustain so much. Uh, And so we are not going to be capable of taking care of 70% of our population in our hospitals or seeking medical care. People always assume that, oh, we're talking about hospitals, that it's going to be the severe cases. But we know that individuals in our country uh, who have any mild symptoms of respiratory infection will rush to our ER to ask for consultation. That is what we don't want to happen. That's why we're trying to flatten the curve, because we, our system simply cannot handle this number of people uh, seeking care. And I'm, I'm, my big concern is for healthcare workers. You know, we're seeing yeah. this meme circulating everywhere. We're saying, you know, we're here to help you. Please stay home to help us. We could devolve into a terrible situation where, where somebody is going to have to make a decision about who gets a ventilator and who doesn't, because we simply mm-hmm. don't have enough of those to go around. And we saw that in Italy. I mean, we yeah. heard reports yesterday that Italy is no longer wants to treat people over the age of 80 because they just are running out of resources. There are reports also that we're running out of face masks. And so ventilators are a big issue. Testing kits are becoming a big issue. Uh, yesterday, our, our military, our minister of military did, did say that we're thinking about using the military strategically to provide supplies to hospitals. So, yes, I think that the conversation is there about medical supplies. And the urge here is, so please use self-assessment tool online if you are doubting you have symptoms 
and then call your healthcare provider before accessing the services. I mentioned on my commentary earlier this morning, because I, I know people always tend to look at Italy and say, come on, it's never going to get that bad over here. We, we don't know that, first of all, but but there are intermediary steps between where we are and where Italy is. I, I just saw yesterday in the news that both uh, the UK and uh, in uh, France, they have instituted essentially what we would call the Emergency Measures Act here, the War Measures Act that some people may remember. Uh, where everything's closed. Uh, you're not allowed. And if you're on the streets, uh, which, by the way, are usually patrolled by, by Army people at this stage when they invoke something like this, uh, you have to justify why you're out. Uh, mm-hmm. I, and I know we say that's draconian, but we could well be headed that way because some countries have already started to do that. Yes, and that is that is a big distinction between self-isolation and quarantine. Quarantine is an act of law. And so if the country decides to head to that direction, if you are if you do leave your house, you do face a penalty or a jail time or a fine because that is against the law. In this case, that's not the case right now. In Canada, we're still trying to put forward this self-isolation, let people do it on their own, understanding what the consequences is and what we're dealing with here. And I know to some people that's going to sound utterly restrictive, and, and you know that's not what we do in a country like this because of our rights and freedoms. But you talked about the decrease, uh, the significant decrease in the number of new cases in China. That's what they did. They, mm-hmm. they, it was it was mandated. You know, are not allowed out of your house, uh, and that's that, that. As you say, that's social distinct, distancing from in the extreme. But it seemed to be the only effective way to do it. And for those that don't think that's going to happen here, that may well be a tool that we're going to have to import at some point anyway. And let's hope that we don't get there, because I do agree that we don't want to take the freedom away from people. I think our government is really trying to push forward this narrative and this idea that you you have the choice to get ahead of this. And as a community and as all of us have a role to play in this, we cannot get to the zirconian measures that we've seen in other countries. The numbers will tell over time. Well, and that's one of the things that we need to keep in mind here. We do, it's not totally within our control, but we do have things that we can do to try to mitigate the impact that it's going to have on us. And it's it's pretty simple stuff. You know, it's not picking up arms and going and defending your country. It's washing your hands and staying away from each other. That's not that hard to do, really. Mm-hmm. That's it. So social distancing, cleaning your environment, monitoring any symptoms that you might develop. Uh, I think people are just looking for somehow to get power over this, which is fair. Like, I think people are nervous and there's a sense of fear. I notice that with everybody that talks to me, uh, the interactions I have with my colleagues, there is a sense of fear, uh, rightly so. And so one way you can take control of your own situation is your immediate environment. So limit your interactions with others, but still connect with family and friends through video and phone. Well, hopefully we'll see a decrease in some of these numbers as long as people start to get the message and start to uh, to act on exactly what their uh, experts are telling us to do. Doctor, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you for your uh, perspective on this, and uh, stay healthy. Of course, you too. Thank you, Bill. Thanks again, Doctor. Doctor uh, Ahmad Khalid, of course, from uh, Wilfrid Laurier University. It's a simple message. You know, wash your hands, hygiene, you know, scrub things down, use the Lysol wipes or whatever it is. Uh, I know there's some concern about, you know, the, the, the hand stuff, you know, the, the gel, et cetera, and that seems to be in short supply, but even that is being addressed. Uh, we talked about some of the distilleries, including Jameson's, by the way, the Irish whiskey people are now making huge amounts of uh, what they call alcohol gel, which is a part of the byproduct, I guess, of making the whiskey. Uh, and they're going to make that available to the government free of charge and just say, here, you know, get this stuff and get the sanitizer back out on the streets. So they're doing their part. And the government is doing their part. Now it's up to us to do our part to make sure that we mitigate the impact of COVID-19. 
You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Interesting initiative about what's going to be happening here. The Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, along with the City of Hamilton and the two other chambers here, the Stony Creek and Flamborough Chambers, uh, have a fascinating new initiative to try to help businesses deal with uh, some of the problems that are coming up and have already come up uh, in the business world because of uh, the COVID-19 crisis and, of course, some of the restrictions that have been put onto that. Uh, so we're going to talk with uh, a couple of folks about this. Uh, Kenyon Loomis is going to join us in just a couple of seconds. Uh, and uh, Bianca Caramento, of course, is the manager of policy and government relations uh, with the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. Uh, for, Bianca, let me start with you. How are you this morning? I'm well. How are you? Both? Good, good. I'm glad you're well. It's always a question we need to ask. It's it's almost a, a, a cliche thing that people always begin a conversation with. But in these days, uh, given the, the spread of the virus and the impact that it's having, uh, you always have to ask. Uh, what are you hearing from your business partners and your members, your chamber members, about how this is going on? I mean, this has got to be an awfully frustrating experience for people that are, are in business right now. Yeah, a lot of our members are extremely worried uh, in light of the fact that we do, really don't know how long this is going to take place. And, and businesses are really doing their part to try and uh, close as many businesses as possible that are non-essential uh, in line with public health and their requests. But uh, it's, it's been hard on our members for sure. Keenan Loomis, uh, of course, the president and CEO of the chamber, is also with us. Uh, talk to us a little bit about this initiative, Keenan, and where it came from and, and how you see this working. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, we, um, so we've been struggling just like everybody else to, uh, you know, everybody who's not on the front lines and, and thank you and, and praise to all the work that they're doing, but uh, to try to figure out how we can help. Um, at this time, and obviously we serve uh, 1,050 members, and we're only as healthy as they are, and, and we're feeling it uh, as well. But we uh, we know that the one thing that we can certainly do is uh, is gather information. Uh, we have uh, great people on staff, including Bianca and so many other uh, great com- uh, communications professionals, and there's so much information coming from so many sources um, that uh, we decided the first thing we needed to do was aggregate that all and put it in one place. And so we worked with the city uh, to make sure that there was no duplication of efforts and worked with their uh, emergency operations center to aggregate all of the key information um, that's out there, especially for businesses, into uh, one microsite. And so if you go on to our hamiltonchamber.ca uh, website, at the upper right-hand corner is a tab for uh, COVID-19 business support. And um, on that website, you'll see everything that... Uh, there is uh, to uh, for businesses um, to try to figure out how to uh, how to manage during this difficult situation. So, government assistance resources, small business support resources, exporting trade resources, employment and legal—that's a, a big one right now. Uh, transportation and um, and then a lot of news from uh, the Ontario Chamber, the Canadian Chamber, and all levels of government. So, we thought that that was the the first thing that we could do. Um, and uh, while working with the city, we also decided to pull together a business continuity advisory group chaired by Norm Schlehan, the new uh, director of economic development. And uh, so we're working on pulling together all the, the key leaders of the business community and, and the larger employers in town to talk about 
uh, where we go from here. Obviously, we're in the middle of a public health emergency at this point in time, but uh, I think uh, at some point within the next couple months, we're going to have to to talk about uh, the best ways of, of recovering as a community. Well, because that's something that I know is, is extremely important, obviously, Bianca, But and, and Keenan's absolutely right. I mean, public health has to be the number one priority at this stage, uh, the way government and the way everyone else is supposed to be handling this. But, uh, the, you know, the the other story that, that we need to talk about, of course, is the effect it's having on the economy. Uh, and I know they're using the R word down in the states uh, that, you know, they may actually fall into a, a recession. I know they asked the prime minister that the other day, and he doesn't feel as if we're at that stage yet right now. But the longer this goes on and the more impact this has on business, uh, the, 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 the more difficult, I guess, this recovery is going to be. Absolutely. And there's been stats that have come out suggesting that most businesses, something like 25% of businesses, won't last without a month of uh, worth of income. So we're at a stage where uh, we need assistance from government. And we've seen some programs that have been rolled out so far. And it's been made very clear that this is sort of the first stage and there will be more to come. Um, but businesses really need all the help they can get because, frankly, at the end of this thing, whether it's several months from now or several weeks from now, people have to come back to businesses to work to to begin with. So if we don't have that support for business to ensure uh, their continuity, uh, once this is over, where will people go back to work? You know, one of the areas that, and I've just talked anecdotally with a few business folks around town, obviously, Keenan, you have uh, much more impact and uh, much more dialogue with those sorts of, uh, of individuals that are especially small businesses uh, in our community. But uh, employment and, and employment laws is, is something that I, the, they collectively all seem to have a concern about because we're facing, and they are, as business people, facing some challenges they probably never even thought they'd have to about, you know, slow business, do I lay people off, do I have to close down, et cetera. Uh, and if it's a forced closure, which might might still happen uh, in this community. We don't know yet. Uh, the impact that that's going to have on businesses and the employees. Yeah, we're already seeing, uh, obviously this morning, the, the big news is Air Canada laying off a bunch of people, but um, we uh, we saw in the paper this morning as well that uh, Aaron Dunham, who has been involved with the Chamber for a number of years uh, and uh, is head of the other bird group, basically that uh, that business right now is uh, is a business that exists only on paper and uh, that's obviously uh, really unfortunate uh, for her staff and all organizations are, are having to to figure this out and you know many of them that have some runway um, have been really good in, in guaranteeing you know their employees that uh, they will be able to uh, to stay on for a number of, of weeks if not months but you know you get to the point where if you're, you know, not uh, doing events, for example, um, you know, how do you how do you keep those people busy? And uh, so when we when we get into the longer term, um, there's a lot of difficult conversations that are going to be had with uh, within every single business, and obviously that's going to uh, to have profound implications on the economy. Um, the I think the the government measures that we're seeing introduced by the feds and and uh, even by the province um, they're all helpful and they're all welcome and uh, they're certainly working with business and, and labor um, in designing those uh, but uh, there's also a lot of details to be filled in and and so uh, again we're just uh, like with everybody else just trying to figure out what the the next couple weeks to a couple months are going to look like well and uh, that's right into your wheelhouse i guess bianca i mean as uh, you know a manager of policy and government relations you're watching with a keen eye the announcements being made by the premier and the and the prime minister about this but uh, keenan's absolutely 
absolutely right. It, it sounds wonderful what they're saying, and I believe that they are earnest in, in their attempt to try to help businesses like this, but there's a lot of details yet to come uh, that you have to uh, understand and digest and then pass on to your members. For sure, and I think, uh, as Kim was saying, you know, it's, it's, it's the first little bit, and they are trying in earnest. However, uh, from what we're hearing from our members, it's really nowhere near enough. So uh, one of the, the measures that was recently announced was uh, the wage subsidy, right? So yeah. they're offering 10% wage subsidy. First of all, 10% is is not exactly a huge number to begin with, and it is capped at a number of about a thousand dollars to begin with. So it's 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 minimal, but it's also not government handing out money for them to be able to pay uh, business wages. What they're really doing is just it's it's a tax break, so they wouldn't have to be uh, paying into their their income taxes nearly as much as they otherwise would be. So it's a step. But meanwhile, we have places like Denmark that are covering 75% of wages. So, and, and recognizing, of course, that Denmark is a smaller country than Canada, but their tax base is also smaller as a result, and yet they're being able to, to cover 75% of wages. So I think there's, there's more to come, and we look forward to seeing that, but these really aren't enough right now to, to ensure that businesses stay open. Well, there's a mindset here that, that we're going to have to deal with at some stage, and I think a, a collective mindset in this uh, part of the world anyway. Scandinavian countries seem to have their act together when it comes to things like health care and education and now, of course, assistance for business, uh, where they simply say, this is what we need to do. Here's the cost. Yeah, it's expensive, but you know what? The cost of not doing it is, is even worse. Uh, but we still have governments here around here, Keenan, they are still looking at the bottom line. And I understand fiscal responsibility, but we can't afford half measures here to try to get this thing back on track. No, we certainly can. Government is uh, absolutely necessary in a time like this. Obviously, again, we need a, a well-functioning public health system, but uh, we need a, a social safety net as well, and uh, now it's more important than ever. And, you know, we're in a good position, I think, relative to our neighbors to the south, so I'm, I'm very happy uh, to be here. I always say we're America's Scandinavia, and, and so I, I, maybe it's uh, proving uh, out a little bit. But, um, you know, it's... The the other thing is just is purpose, you know, and and for an organization like ourselves, um, and for all workers and, and employees, yeah, you can you can get uh, wage subsidies, but how are you contributing? And uh, obviously, that's going to be very important to everybody's mental health going forward, as well. So the sooner we can get back to normal, um, the better. But I don't know if if it will ever be the same. Um, it, it will obviously be a new normal, and, and maybe that's the silver lining to come out of this, is to understand just how, um, how we are impacting uh, you know, the, the globe and, and how we need to change what we're doing. Well, and that's got to be part of the problem, I, I would think, Bianca, for somebody who is in business right now. Uh, obviously, you need to plan. You need to look forward and, and, and project where they're going to go. You don't know what's in the future right now. Uh, not that we ever do necessarily, but uh, no, with COVID-19 being what it is. I mean, you know, some people are saying this could go on for another nine months, a year. Uh, some think it may end up, uh, you know, at the end of the summer, it's going to go away. Uh, and, and businesses have to, in some way, shape or form, have to accommodate that. And the, how do you do that in a situation that's so volatile right now? That's a great question, and I think so. Some of the supports that the government has offered, so they've worked with the BDC, uh, the Business Development Bank of Canada, to be able to provide business loans uh, at very good rates. But the issue is, so if you're a business who doesn't necessarily know how long this is going to last and how long these times are, are, are going to remain in place, how do you feel confident in taking out a sizable loan? Yes, to keep your business afloat, but when you really don't know what's going to be, if it's going to be five months, six months, nine months, a year, it doesn't instill confidence in business to be able to take those loans. So 
once again, whether or not the government assistance, it's certainly welcome, but whether or not it's, it's exactly what's appropriate or what's best for business right now is, is questionable. Well, which is why it's essential, uh, to your point, Keenan, that uh, there has to be a dialogue between chambers of commerce, uh, even at the national level, uh, but even here locally, uh, with government, so they get an understanding of exactly what the need is here. Yeah, and so again, we've been working hard with with the labor unions and and with the governments and the business community, working all together, and and people have put partisan partisanship aside to try to figure out what the right way is going forward. And the other um, good thing is that uh, businesses have also stepped up stepped up to help Canadians, and we saw the big banks um, defer uh, offer six month deferrals on their mortgage payments. Um, for those impacted by job loss or reduced hours. So, you know, we're, everybody is pulling together uh, at this point in time, and, um, and obviously that's highly encouraging. The other element to this, too, I mean, for those of us that have seen this act before, meaning a recession, and hopefully we don't get to that point economically here, but uh, even when the recession was quote-unquote over, and you can you know, by statistically determine that uh, by a couple of positive quarters in, in the business cycle, uh, people still tend to be a little you know, apprehensive about getting right back into it. I mean, uh, that's, I guess, one of the concerns and why you guys are going to be doing this, I guess, for the longest time, Bianca, is uh, because even when this is done, uh, we're going to have to get customers back in there. And, you know, they have to have confidence in the economy right now. And that confidence is shaken. Absolutely. And I think uh, not just business confidence, but as you mentioned, consumer confidence is is certainly going to be an issue. Um, that said, the longer that that folks are, are quarantined, I'm sure they're more and more anxious to get out and 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 out of their houses as sooner rather than later. That said, nonetheless, businesses um, will continue having that sort of hesitation uh, as to what's ahead, even once the quarantine is over. So it's it's a precarious situation. Keenan, to that point, um, you, you talked about the new normal, uh, and th- that means obviously business is going to have to pivot and deal with the, the realities of what's happening here. Uh, I'd like to think the government can do that as well, and simply said, you know, putting programs together, such as the Prime Minister and the Premier have announced over the last couple of days, uh, are wonderful starts to what's going on, but uh, we're getting back to that word that you've used oftentimes, is sustainability. Uh, we're going to have to rely more on government assistance, and business is going to have to rely more on government assistance, and the government's going to have to understand that they're going to have to play a larger role here. Yeah, this will definitely shape uh, things to come for for many decades, just as the 2008-2009 recession did. And, uh, you know, that was something that I lived through, and and, um, it certainly changed how I have uh, my outlook on on life over the last 10 years and changes how I deal with with this as well. So everybody's going to have to reassess. Everybody's going to have to... um, you know, come out of this having learned lessons, and and government uh, will be one of them. And I think you know it, it's looking like a, a universal basic income might be um, a, a good thing. And so you know, I'm I'm hoping that uh, we can start talking about that uh, to give that social safety net for those that are most vulnerable within our communities. Well, isn't that interesting? How that has come full circle. Uh, I mean, first of all, the Ford government, of course, killed the basic income pilot project uh, here in the province, much to the chagrin of of an awful lot of people, uh, you and I included in that number. Uh, And there was some talk, remember, even one of the presidential candidates, Andrew Yang, was talking about a a basic income for Americans, about getting money every month. And that was simply poo-hooed, oh, come on, that's ridiculous, we're never going to do that. Now they're seriously discussing it once again, uh, at all levels, because they understand just how important it can be. 
Yeah, well, one of the the, the measures that uh, is being talked about most right now is is putting money directly into the pockets of, of people, mm-hmm. and um, so that's basically universal basic income. It's something that uh, the Ontario Chamber of Commerce and the Canadian Chamber of Commerce have been wanting to study for a number of years because um, there is some legitimacy to to the idea, and uh, obviously it's important to have consumers spending money. Um, and uh, in especially the most vulnerable um, populations, that money goes right back into the economy and goes into the businesses that uh, right now are hurting the most. So I think it's a it's a good idea that uh, probably will get uh, a lot more consideration going forward. Well, if uh, anybody wants to get some details about uh, the program that you guys are working in in collaboration with the city, uh, I guess the uh, the uh, chamber webpage is the first stop then for them, wouldn't it be? Yeah, go to our website, uh, and you'll see the resource, uh, like I said, at the top uh, right-hand corner. Um, As well, uh, we're going to be calling every single one of our members. We're in the midst of that campaign right now just to check in on everybody and see how they're doing and gathering stories and and, um, and helping them uh, going forward advocate for some of the things that uh, are necessary uh, for them to be able to survive. And the final thing we're doing, Bill, is on uh, Monday morning we're having a business virtual town hall at uh, 10.30, so information will be going out to our members about that. Uh, I think uh, people are, are thirsting for information. They're thirsting for uh, human contact as well, even uh, if uh, in a virtual setting. And uh, so we'll see what sort of demand uh, there is for that, and then we'll keep it going. There are many, many topics to be talking about at this point in time, and again, we're just trying to do what we can. Well, the dialogue is going to be important, so if you're out in Stony Creek, expect a phone call from Patty Hall, the executive director out there, or Matt Pat- Patricelli, of course, out in Flamborough, or Keenan and, and Bianca. They're going to be on the phones, too, uh, getting this thing going. Great initiative, guys. Uh, congratulations on that, and listen, good luck going forward on this. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks, Bill. Take care. Bianca Carmento, of course, and Keenan Loomis from the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce uh, with a great program. It's done in collaboration with the Economic Development Department here in Hamilton and uh, the Mayor, Fred Eisenberger. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. How are we making out uh, when it comes to this battle? We just heard some of the numbers from the UK, and they're not encouraging. They're still spiking. Uh, with the number of increases. They've actually asked retired doctors to come back to work now to try to deal with uh, some of the new cases that are going to be going on. Uh, some countries, including the UK, by the way, and France, are considering what people might consider draconian measures to try to fight this uh, vis-a-vis, you know, uh, basically having a police and, uh, in some cases, the armed forces uh, patrolling the streets to try to keep people away from each other. Uh, the, the social distancing aspect of this is something that I guess a lot of people just haven't grasped. But as we uh, look at some of the statistics right now, uh, the world response to this has been mixed at this stage. Uh, some people taking it very seriously, others uh, probably could do a whole lot more. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Ben Roswell, who's the president of the Canadian International Council. Uh, ben, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today on the program. No, it was important to uh, to join you today, so it's a pleasure. Thank you. Let me ask you about your impression. As you've seen how we as a country and how we as, as a global nation uh, and series of nations uh, have responded to what's happening with COVID-19, are, are we stepping up to the plate? Are we doing it properly? I think we're showing some early signs of progress, but coronavirus really is a test, even an acid test of how effective countries are as nations. We can look at how effective the, the states are, the governments are in, in making policy decisions. But the coronavirus it affects every single person, every single citizen in the country. And the countries that are effective have found a way of mobilizing every single 
citizen. So social distancing is a, is a, is a perfect example of that. There's limits to how much can be decreed from on high about social distancing. Up, uh, eventually, it's up to every single Canadian to decide how seriously we're going to take this crisis. And that depends in some, to some extent on how much we see ourselves as citizens. To what extent are we willing to put the interest of the community and the nation above our own individual uh, interests? You know, it's interesting. I see some encouraging signs. Yeah, because I've heard that debate and seen it on social media over the last week or so. Uh, you know, when we talk about some of the restrictions that uh, that our political leaders are trying to get us to follow along with here, uh, there's always going to be that rise. And I understand the justification for it. It's about personal rights and freedoms. And, hey, you can't infringe upon that. If I want to go and have a coffee, I should be allowed to go and have a coffee. Uh, which which may be somebody's mindset, but uh, you're right. I think we have to have this discussion about what's the greater good for the community and for the world community. Yeah, so take a look at some of the other countries there. China's obviously the first off in this uh, in this crisis, uh, and it's um, useful for uh, for comparison's sake because they're farther ahead. They uh, initially were a source of fear, of course, as the pandemic was spreading, and they did uh, they committed a really major early error, which was to suppress information. Uh, and that led to the, uh, the the virus spreading much more broadly than it than it should have if it was a more democratic country. Conversely, there's a really high level of social solidarity in China. So once the government finally got on top of it, society was very willing to kind of jump in and, and adopt all of the pretty draconian measures. And as a result, China did eventually succeed in flattening the curve. That's that next to some of the democracies that haven't done so well, Italy and the United States, a little farther behind China, but ahead of us in terms of just the spread of the disease. These are countries um, that are pretty divided, highly polarized. There's a serious distrust of government. Now, they do have open access to information, um, but it was very difficult for um, the Italians, for example, to take seriously what the government was trying to do as they were trying to introduce these social distancing measures. And as a result, the the virus really has gotten out of control in uh, Italy. Same thing in the United States. Now, there are some democracies that have done extremely well, and the uh, best-case scenario, I think, is actually South Korea. So pretty close to China, also hit pretty early on in the coronavirus, but they do have a free press, so there was no attempt by some distant authoritarian leader in the capital, 1,000 kilometers away from where the outbreak is, to suppress information. Nope, South Korea is a democracy, so, so citizens can trust what they're reading in the newspapers and hearing and uh, and, uh, and hearing on radio, etc. And also, there's a high degree of social solidarity in South Korea. People are, you know, proud to be Koreans. There's mm-hmm. a, a real strong sense of patriotism, and so they were able to flatten the far faster than ever. They also have a really effective uh, healthcare system, and so they were able to get tests out. I just was reading today that they got they've already had a quarter of a million people tested. The United States hasn't even made it to. 100,000, and it's a country that's uh, it's six times the size. So South Korea seems to combine the advantages of the democracy in, this, in responding to this crisis, which is uh, free press, and that sense of social solidarity that's really effective. But you'd wonder at this stage, uh, you know, I mean, the, the message should be out there, and the numbers don't lie, uh, but there's still some misinformation and still some governments that seem to be taking a rather lackadaisical attitude. My wife was telling me uh, that uh, she has a sister-in-law and some relatives over in Finland, uh, and they were talking to them yesterday, I suppose it was. And, uh, and she said in, in Finland, they're taking zero precautions. Uh, everybody continues to meet in, in, you know, cafes and bars and restaurants, and they don't seem to be doing a whole lot of anything. I mean, I, I don't know what they think they know that we don't know, but, I mean, that's a rather precarious attitude by any government to take, isn't it? Well, it might be that um, 
used to being much more exposed to uh, global trends. Uh, so good things from the world, like migration and culture and ideas, and also some uh, some bad things. It's uh, it's a hallmark of who we are, I think, as a nation that we're mm-hmm. very open uh, to the world, and therefore I think we should be able to take it more seriously. And I think we are taking it more seriously than the Finns. But I do think for us to succeed, like we're we're really just in early days. And how well we do going forward is really going to be a test of how patriotic Canadians are. Because well, social distancing is really an act of patriotism. Caring for the isolated and the marginalized is really an act of patriotism. It's really the extent to which we're able to, to act on what's in the interest of the community and what's in the interest of the nation, even if it puts us at um, inconvenience, if we're hold up in our apartments or our houses for weeks on uh, weeks on end, that's going to be extremely frustrating for a lot of us. But it's a, a, um, a test of really how committed we are to our community and to our nation. Well, and, and it's, it may not be as onerous as some people might think. I mean, 100 years ago, if you have, we have, were housebound, uh, you're probably staring at four walls and, and getting a little bored and, and maybe a little crazy from time to time. But, I mean, you, you're not shutting yourself up from the world if you stay in your house these days. I mean, you've got the Internet, you've got Netflix, you've got any number of other things. Uh, you've got the telephone, for heaven's sakes. You can still converse with people. Uh, but, you know, so this idea that, well, we need social interaction. Yeah, we do. But social interaction is one of the reasons that caused the spread of, of this in the first place, and we've, we've got to do something to mitigate that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, just take a look at our think tank. We we run events to um, to bring Canadians uh, from coast to coast into the national discussion on foreign policy. So we normally have a room where we bring in some you know visiting minister or ambassador or mm-hmm. general or what have you, and they talk to 50, 60 people. Obviously, we're not doing that right now. The 16 branches of the CIC, are, including the one in Hamilton, are are, are turning those events off, but we have video conferencing. We're now doing all those events by Zoom. So uh, every Canadian has access to the internet and uh, video conferencing works really, really easily. And so we're now bringing 40, 50 people together, not just in Hamilton or Winnipeg or Halifax and some of the different communities where we are, but we're actually bringing people across the country together in these discussions about what is Canada do about the world. So there's there's ways that we can adapt that actually might even make us better. Like I think we're going to be a better think tank and a better community of uh, of Canadians interested in foreign policy as a result of that. And you can see that challenge with every kind of society or community or club or business uh, across the country. Some of them are going to get hit hard. You know, it's not a great time to be running an airline uh, right now. But uh, others, I think, have a challenge that they can rise to. How can you make the most of the connections that we do have through uh, the internet and uh, and other technology um, to stay together and maybe even deepen the, the bonds that connect us as a community. Ben, do they have a, an understanding and a realization, though, that uh, that they've got to be in this for the long haul? Uh, because even the, the the projections we're hearing from what with the World Health Organization and others is that uh, this is not going away anytime soon. I, I, I don't know if we want to go to the extent of saying this is the new normal, but we're going to have to get used to these standards for quite some time uh, as this uh, runs its course. As you mentioned, when you look at some of the numbers in the United States and in Canada, uh, we're nowhere near uh, the, even the middle of this from what the, the experts are telling us. It's, and they keep saying it's going to get worse before it gets better, and we're starting to see that now. Well, we're certainly, we, Canadians should be wrapping their heads around the fact that this is likely to be months, not weeks. We do have the other countries' examples to look to, right? Like, China has reached its apex. Yeah. That curve did reach the top, and it's now starting to go down. Uh, and that, I mean, the first case in China was November, so here we are in March. That's five months. The United States, the uh, latest that I heard from the governor of New York, is that they're expecting the apex to be reached in 45 days, so that's like 
a month and a half. Now they're a little farther ahead uh, than us. Um, so the transmission of it is actually relatively comparable from one country to the other when you can see the effect of social distancing and what have you. Um, we, By that standard, if we do a good job, we're going to be reaching the apex later on in the end, you know, maybe the beginning of the summer. Um, and uh, we'll see, a, you know, the flattening of the curve also means that it'll be lasting for a longer time. So mm-hmm. we should be thinking about this being the new normal for at least the summer and well into the uh, into the fall. And that's where I think the, uh, the degree of social solidarity and, frankly, patriotism comes in. Because that patience, where are we going to draw uh, that patience from? If it's about each and uh, every of us, every one of us as individuals or families, eventually we're going to want to resist the social distancing and get out and see each other and socialize and do what we're up. But you have to have that instinct of, is that the right thing, not just for me, but for my community, my society, and my country. And that's why I think we really need to appeal to the patriotism of Canadians. Well, sure. And to I, be I, able to, to, to wait for the long haul. I mean, I, I, I'm sure we all saw the pictures of the people on the beach down in Florida right now. And, you know, it's crowded, and we've seen that happen. And I know a lot of people say, look at it, really, well, get the hockey season back underway. I want to see if my team's got to go to the playoffs. And But it, do you really want to sit in an arena with 18,000 other people and you don't know how, who's going to be infected and who's not? I mean, there's a common sense element to this too, isn't there? There is, and you know, um, many of us in Canada, maybe not if you live in you know downtown Hamilton or downtown mm-hmm. Toronto, but many of us have this uh, tremendous uh, advantage that we're close to the outdoors, um, and you can do social distancing and being out if you're in a park or in a forest or uh, or what have you. I happen to live quite close to uh, Woodbine Beach uh, in mm-hmm. Toronto, and mm-hmm. it's a really big space, and you can have people out there just not interacting closely uh, with each other. Those of those of us who are in smaller communities have uh, have cottages uh, to go to. It's a little cold now, but by the time we get into May and June and July, uh, we have this tremendous asset of uh, of wilderness at our um, at our disposal, and and that's I think uh, something else that's going to to distinguish Canada's response to the uh, to the crisis. Yeah, and again, that's what some medical folks are saying too. I mean, I, you're right. I mean, I, we just uh, in Ancaster, we just live on the edge of the conservation lines out there, and uh, you know, get outside and get some fresh air. It doesn't mean you can't go out. It just means you're not supposed to interact with people. Uh, yeah, and, and that's keep your two meter distance and, exactly, uh, and you should be okay. You should be, and, uh, and we need to uh, to pay attention to that as well. And and for those that are saying, well, it's going to run its course and it'll be over by the summer, uh, it, it will if we all do what we're supposed to do. And you, I think the, the Chinese example is absolutely right. It's very instructive, Ben. Uh, yeah, they they have seemed to have flattened that curve. That that's the goal that we're trying to attain here at the same time. But they did it well, because they imposed social distancing and, and and they made sure that everybody complied. Yeah, we also don't know if there's going to be a second wave. Interesting enough, uh, I'm following China quite closely, and while they've reached this um, milestone where there's no new infections from within China, there are, of course, people traveling to China from other countries, yeah. and some of them are bringing the coronavirus. So the Chinese are now vulnerable to importing uh, the virus, and uh, and that's why we're going to need to, all of these countries, all of us are going to be able, are, are going to have to maintain discipline for a long time, because we don't know what, uh, what the seasonality of this uh, of this virus is? Maybe it'll die down a bit in the summer, but it could come raging back in the fall. That's what happened with this terrible Spanish flu in 1918 that killed mm-hmm. tens of millions of people. There was a second wave when the temperatures started getting uh, colder again in the in the fall. So we really are going to have to uh, batten down the hatches for the long haul here, even if there seems to be some initial. 
slowing in the transmission. We're not out of the uh, out of the um, out of hot water yet. Yeah, it's a long game for sure. Uh, ben, thanks so much for the time today. Stay healthy, and uh, I know we'll probably talk about this again in the future as we get some new numbers on this. Uh, have a great weekend. Okay, you too. Bye. Take now. care, Ben Roswell, of course, president of the uh, Canadian International Council. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.